Freak Wide Vancouver pregame, postgame, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds. The free casino games make you play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pad here with you on this sunny, beautiful, gorgeous April 28th morning. Feels like summer out there, J-Pad. Uh, it's hot up here in Whistler, but I know it's hot down in Vancouver as well. It's hard to talk hockey on days like today, but we're going to do it. <laughs> hey, that's of what course. we do. Yeah. That's what we do. But not only that, there is some, I mean, obviously the Stanley Cup playoffs going on right now, but there's some intrigue going on in particular in Winnipeg right now. Did you hear Rick Bonus's post game? Just absolutely pasting his top players. Not enough pushback. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how does this relate to the Canucks? And when you look at a core like the Winnipeg Jets, and the fact that they stuck with this core, and they've had a little bit, a small little bit of success, if you want to call it that, going to a conference final, second round once. But other than that, they haven't gotten any hardware. And they've stuck with these guys for so long now that you've got two head coaches that have called out the leadership group now, with one on his way out the door and Paul Maurice last year. So what can we take from this Jets team and sort of relate it with the Canucks in terms of you know, maybe, maybe perhaps sticking with your 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 core players for too long. Only two head coaches? That's it? Oh, then they're not even in the same league as yeah. the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, look, it's such a fine line in professional sports, right? Like you, you do everything you can to build a winner in a hard cap era. You got to make all the pieces fit. You assemble all this talent. And it wasn't that long ago that the Winnipeg Jets were a sexy choice to win the Stanley Cup. Like, I'm going back five years. So, you know, we always talk about windows of opportunity, and it certainly feels like the Jets' window slammed shut. And if it it didn't, then the coach slammed it shut afterwards. Uh, it makes you wonder if Rick Bonus figures that he's on his way out as well. I know that uh, he was brought in to replace Paul Maurice, but I, I kind of I wasn't sure that, you know, there would be work for Rick Bonus after uh, he left Dallas and found work in Winnipeg. But that felt like a guy that maybe, you know, parting shots, like kind of like Torts when Torts, you know, ripped the Band-Aid off and told people in Vancouver it was time to move past 2011 and this yeah. core was getting stale. Um, so be curious to see if Rick Bonus is part of the changes there as well. But uh, look, I mean, first and foremost, and it's not an excuse, but it is part of the explanation they were going to be in tough against Vegas, but losing Josh Morrissey, Mark Shifley, and not having Nick Ehlers, like that's, you want to have a fighting chance, right, in the playoffs. So you need your best players. And when those guys weren't available, uh, Ehlers came back, but the other two left the series. I mean, that's, that was obviously going to make it that much more difficult for Winnipeg, who looked good and got the early game, the first game in the series, and then lost four straight. But you know, for the object of this exercise, if we're going to try to apply some of the learnings that we saw from Winnipeg to this Vancouver team, again, like the Jets did a pretty nice job in a market where it's tough to attract free agents. And you had a guy like Dustin Buffalo who just up and call it quits, basically, yeah. you know, and, and that threw a wrench into their plans, obviously. And then Jacob Truba wanted out. And so they had to completely revamp and reshape their defense. And, you know, Josh Morrissey's developed into a star outside of that. There are some pieces there. Uh, but what I think a lot of people liked about the Winnipeg Jets was their depth up front and their goaltending. And those are two, you know, really component, key component parts to building a winner. And Connor Hellebuck is still, you know, an elite level goaltender. Yep. And he's under contract for one more year. He's going to be 30 here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and his future will be interesting. And then, you know, everybody knows the names up front, whether it's Wheeler, whether it's Shifley, whether it's Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, Kyle Connor. You know, like they've got some really nice pieces, but... 
I, I guess the lesson from watching the playoffs, but also hearing Rick Bonus's comments, like obviously your best players have to show up and compete and play hard. And that wasn't enough, or there wasn't enough of that in the eyes of uh, Bonus, and certainly in that series. I want to give Vegas its due as well, because you know anybody that's listened here regularly has heard me kind of question yep. how they were the best team in the conference. And, you know, they did what they did and started to look a lot more like a championship pedigree team as they kind of worked their way through that series. So uh, kudos to Vegas, the first team through to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, you know, like, where do you think those comments from Bonus were directed? And I know that we're not, like, close to the team, but... Mm-hmm. Again, Shifley's not there, so I can't imagine that the coach had the dagger out for a player that was injured. So I would take him out of the equation. It kind of felt like it was lobbed directly at, in my mind, two guys, Blake Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois. That that kind of felt like the two targets uh, as I read the tea leaves on that one. Yeah, and Pierre-Luc Dubois got his foot. I I don't understand why they stuck with Pierre-Luc Dubois. It might be the fact that he's an RFA, so they will have control over him. But, like, he's always had one foot out the door. And if that is the case, like, and I'm making an assumption here because I'm not as close to the team as others are. But if that is the case, wouldn't that irk you as a teammate? Like, the hell is this guy doesn't even want to be here? Right. But so I, think it goes that. Back, I think it goes back to that notion that, yeah, you may have one foot out the door, but you've got one foot in the door. And it's tough to get guys to put any feet in the door in Winnipeg True. as yeah you know, unrestricted free agents trying to attract guys to make a decision to go there. And so they have to do what they can with the guys that they do have under contract. And sure, uh, that would be a distraction. And if you're a teammate, you're probably wondering, but I would hope like hell that when the playoffs begin, Pierre-Luc Dubois has got a contract that he's all in for the Winnipeg Jets. That's the team that's paid and that's the team he's playing for. And yet when you look at the numbers, two goals, two assists, Four points in five games. So the production's not, like, it's not terrible. He wasn't blank. He wasn't held off the score sheet. But things get a little murkier when, as we like to say, you look under the hood. I don't know if you've looked at the underlying numbers for uh, the Jets in their series. Neil Pionk led Winnipeg in scoring. He had seven assists. He had seven points in five games. Uh, that part's good. At even strength, the Jets were outscored 9-1 to one with Neil Pionk on the ice. Wow. Pierre-Luc Dubois? was on the ice for nine Vegas goals at even strength yeah. and four for the Jets. So outscored by five. Nino Niederreiter, like I always look at guys that teams, you know, give up assets to get at the deadline and how do they contribute. And Nino Niederreiter had a goal and three assists. So four points in five games. Again, you know, the production is not terrible, but he was, the Jets were outscored eight to two when he was on the ice at even strength in the series. So, uh, you know, there's a couple of the guys that uh, obviously, you know, weren't pulling their weight. In the, you know, you got to cash in on the power play, sure, but the bulk of the game is still played five on five. And so, you know, and some of that's tough on Neil Pionk. Like, I I, I want to be fair to the guy. When Morrissey went down, all of a sudden they ask an awful lot of Neil Pionk to try to shoulder the load and be the shutdown guy and play all these minutes against Vegas's top line. And uh, again, he was able to produce offensively, but uh, different story when it came to play in his own end. So when you look at the the Jets and you sort of can make some comparables here uh, with the Canucks and you ask, you know, who was that sort of uh, focused on? And yeah, I, I definitely think Blake Wheeler uh, is in that discussion. But at the same time, too, like this has now gone multiple coaches. And we've also heard about this sort of a uh, riff in the dressing room that they've had as well. So the Canucks don't have that going for them right now. But at the same time, too, like this core had proved to be a team that could make it to the playoffs, had done a little bit of 
damage, just but that conference final really sticks out more than anything else uh, that that this Jets core has done. Mm-hmm. But this Canucks team has done none of that. Right. So let's maybe sort of nip it in the bud and get this thing correct be, while they start to make that ascend into being a playoff team. So I guess my point is here is don't fall in love with the guys you've fallen in love with recently. And one guy in particular that I look at that I think the fan base would have a hard time letting go of is Brock Besser. Yeah, and like I'd like to see Brock Besser play playoff hockey in a Vancouver uniform, and I know he was in the bubble. Uh, feels like forever ago, and again, the most unique circumstances that anybody's ever going to face. I, we talk about like you know everything ramps up, and he's not a guy generally that ramps things up, right? Like emotionally, like outwardly, you don't see it from Brock Besser, pretty even keeled guy. And that's not saying that he couldn't get it to another level at the playoffs, but he doesn't strike me as an initiator. And so as bodies are flying all over the place, you know, is he giving as much as he's taking? How does that impact? Uh, you know, does that get him into games more? Uh, you know, like I, I, there are days I'd like to see a little bit more fire from Brock Besser. And of course, the other end of the spectrum is too much fire from a guy like JT Miller. And, and then that draws the ire of the fan base as well. So there has to be a happy medium in there somewhere. But yeah, like, you're right. This is this idea of keeping the core together and believing in the core until it becomes apparent that the core isn't the right core to get it done. And so, you know, the Jets had a good run where they were competitive. And again, the backbone of it all is a you know, Vesna winning all-star, multi-time all-star goaltender. And they've got that, but so do the Canucks. So I think, you know, on that parallel, like boxes are checked, right? Connor Hellebuck, Thatcher Demko. Hellebuck's a couple of years older than Demko, but Thatcher Demko, he doesn't have the Vesna yet, but he... You know, he's trending in a direction where he could be in some conversation at some point. So both teams, I think goaltending is there. And then we look at the defense core. And we talked about that, that, you know, the Jets were dealt a, a tough card when Buffalo stepped away and then Trouba wanted out. You know, they had to completely remake that defense core on the fly. And I think they made the most of what they could with the Trouba deal and got Neil Pionk, who has come in and given them serviceable minutes. And obviously they developed Josh Morrissey into a player there. Uh, but there are some questions, uh, you know, through their lineup, as there are every team in the salary cap era. But you start to look a little deeper down the depth chart there, and I think they got exposed. Certainly, once Morrissey went down, uh, you're not replacing that kind of player. So, you know, this is the same conversation we have with the Canucks. Like, yeah, there are a couple of pieces on defense, but you're seeing through these playoffs. And I mean, how many pods have we done here recently about Vegas and their defense and Rick Tockett's love of Vegas's defense? And you know, they didn't have Shea Theodore last night. They didn't have Braden McNabb and didn't miss a beat. So they're able to plug some holes there. Um, but then up front, like, you know, you, you start to look like if we're c- c- pieces for pieces, you know, the Jets and, and, and the Canucks, you know, like Blake Wheeler is towards the back end of his career. He's been an incredible player for a lot of years. Um, the Canucks don't really have that kind of guy, right? Like you can say, oh, JT Miller. Miller's what? six years younger than Blake Wheeler. So I'm not sure that there's a direct comparison when we're trying to put the pieces together. You know, Bo Horvat and Mark Scheifele were sort of the same kind of guy. Yeah. Obviously, Horvat doesn't play here anymore. Yeah. You know, Kyle Connor, even though he was drafted, uh, you know, in the same year as Brock Besser, he's become a better goal scorer at the NHL level The Besser is. But the Jets don't have him, Elias Pedersen. So, you know, there's no one blueprint to having playoff success, but in my mind, I was sort of playing around with the pieces and trying to figure out who matches up with whom. And, you know, I'm not sure that there are direct comparables on that Jets team yeah. to the Vancouver Canucks hockey club. 
Yeah, no, it's going to be really interesting to see exactly what they do because, you know, as you broke down some of the players there, like, do you want to move off of Kyle Connor? No. <laughs> 26 years old, a goal scorer like that, had a decent contract for, what, four more years or three more years after this year. I think the biggest one is, you know, do you trade Connor Halibut? Right. I, I, you know, a year ago, six point something million dollar cap one hit. Six, yeah, yeah. So manageable. Like if there's a team that felt goaltending was the one piece it needed, like teams are kicking themselves if that if Thatcher Demko was actually available this year. Yeah, there are GMs all over the league right now kicking themselves, right? Because these guys just don't come available. You, you generally have to develop them. So if Connor Hellebuck became available, I mean, like what if? Well, if Toronto flames out in the first round again, and they, you know, want to run it back, which might be interesting, but right. I mean, like someone like Hellebuck could command and it, th- these are the tough decisions you got to make. Blake Wheeler, you're he's basically his age is making the decision for you. Yeah. He's probably going to play out that contract. He's got one more year after next year. Maybe they trade him at the trade deadline, you know, same with Shifley, although he's 30. So yeah, like, I mean, there's just, a, and, and again, like when you look back and, and sort of do the comparables with the Canucks, you're sitting there going like, you know, you've got Connor Garland under contract for a long term here. You got Brock Besser. You got all these these wingers, but can you win with them? And should you be falling in love with them? I think that's the biggest thing that you as a fan, those that are listening to us right now, is you might like the player. You might even have bought the player's jersey. But is this the guy that, you know, you can get can get into the fire, can win with? And as we've seen, it's very difficult when even when you think you've got the core, like someone like Winnipeg. In the end, if you don't win a cup, you didn't really do anything, right? Right, but put yourself in Kevin Sheffield layoff shoes as well. And again, up against it geographically, we've established that. Like, I think for the most part, he's done a pretty good job of putting a competitive team together. It was really interesting to hear Rick Bonus talk about it, though, that, you know, this has been there since January, and and it's kind of been the elephant in the room, that in January, like, they were a top, the conference, they looked like the great white hope for Canada. Like this drought that, you know, 30 year drought of no Stanley Cups. Like, I think a lot of people thought, you know, wide open in the West this year. Uh, Winnipeg's given every indication that they're going to be a team that's in the mix. Um, and it is still wide open in the West, but they're no longer part of it. Uh, and it's kind of funny too. Like, you know, no team this year gave the Vancouver Canucks more trouble than the Winnipeg Jets. Jets went 3-0 against the Canucks, smoked them here in Vancouver 5-1, to uh, and then there was a 7-4 win. There were, the night Miller smashed the stick on the back of the net with Delia. Uh, I think they lost 4-2 to in Winnipeg as well. So they went 0-3 against the Jets. Now, all of those games came in a one-month span before this cliff that Rick Bonus referenced last night where things really started to go sideways and, and they couldn't get it back on track. So some of it was timing for the Vancouver Canucks. I don't know if some of it was matchup because they didn't play Hellebuck. Uh, they, I think two of the three games were against Hellebuck, and uh, they also saw Dave Riddich as well. So you can't say that they got goalied all three times. Um, and yeah, the Canucks didn't have Thatcher Demko, uh, I don't think, for any of them. Uh, so, you know, goaltending may have been a factor, but I'm not, I don't think it was the factor. I just, for whatever reason, if it was a big, strong Winnipeg team that presented challenges for the Canucks, um, the Jets had the Canucks number. And so just keep that in mind as you're looking at, you know, how do the Canucks stack up against the playoff field and what can we take? You know, the first team out went three and zero against the Canucks and fed them their lunch a couple of yeah. times. So it just, and you know, sort of file that one in the back of your mind as you're trying to assess how close or how far away the Vancouver Canucks truly are, are these days. Yeah. Martin in the uh, original five, one loss 
Delia in the 4-2 loss, and then Martin again in the 7-4 loss to Winnipeg. So, yeah, no uh, Thatcher Demko in any of those games. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, just as we sort of draw comparisons here to these teams, you sort of see how how big that gap is between, you know, what the Canucks are and what they they want to be. And uh, they still got a ways to go. Uh, the Cal or the Calgary, the uh, Abbotsford Canucks are in Calgary. They're going to play game two of their series, the AHL Calder Cup playoffs against the Wranglers. I think one of the things that we can take out of that game, really, J-Pat, was this Canucks team that was what, 20 something, were they 20 points less, something like that? Then Calgary this year, they hung with them and just came down to overtime. And yeah, it was a tough play in overtime. We talked about it with uh, Jack Rathbone. But I think if you're Abbotsford, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourselves going into this in game two. Yeah, I would think so. You know, the one thing that Abbotsford didn't capitalize on was power plays. Uh, Matthew Phillips got the spearing major and got kicked out of the game. And it looked like a pretty soft call, but uh, I'm sure Jet Wu didn't feel it was all that soft as he got uh, the old stick in the you-know-where. Um but in playoff time, come on, you get a major penalty, like you, you got to take advantage of that. And, yeah. you know, Calgary had one of its top players thrown out of the hockey game. So missed opportunity there for the Abbotsford Canucks, but otherwise did everything. I mean, pushed hard, stayed in the game, kept it close, got goaltending, got the goal that they needed late. And then, you know, comes down to a crapshoot in overtime. And unfortunately, uh, Calgary got the goal to win it. But yeah, I think Abbotsford would have to feel pretty good about a lot of things. And the fact that, you know, their best players probably have more to give. And so uh, you hope that that comes out in game two. Otherwise, your backs are pretty quickly up against the wall, even though you're coming home for the remainder of the season or the series. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, You know, I I like the fact that, you know, they had a day off yesterday just to sort of uh, regroup and probably watch some video and try and figure out maybe some areas that they can poke holes in. You know, again, the best team in the American Hockey League probably doesn't have a lot of holes, but uh, Abbotsford's going to have to try to find a way to exploit something somewhere uh, if they're going to even this series up. And as we've talked about, if they do get the split, like, man, is that a drastic turn in that series as it comes back to Abbotsford? Because the balance of the games will be played out at the Abbotsford Center. So home ice uh, and then some swings in Abbotsford's favor. But uh, if they're down to nothing, you know, I mean, short series. I'm not going to say that they can't rattle off three straight wins, but all the pressure at that point uh, slides clearly onto the Abbotsford side of things. And, you know, pressure does some weird things, especially to young athletes and young players. So a uh, difficult situation, but they don't want to think about that. They want to find a way to get a victory out of the Saddle Dome and come home uh, in a one-all tie. Yeah. And then, of course, the uh, series doesn't uh, pick up again until next Wednesday. They, they, all go, they all go to Hawaii for a couple of days for vacation. They go to Cabo. <laughs> it recharged a little bit and then come back to Abbotsford. But yeah, the uh, game three will be Wednesday, May 3rd in Abbotsford. But tonight, game two in Calgary between the Canucks and the Wranglers. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. 
And joining us now on Friday, a gorgeous Friday, Patrick Johnson from the province, Post Media. PJ, how are you? I'm I'm fabulous. The weather was wonderful. It's so nice to wear flip-flops outside. Oh, look at that. That's great. Oh, always yeah. letting them breathe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you guys are going to do a baseball game today, too. You guys are going to check out the uh, Canadians. So yeah, probably we'll wear my flip-flops to that. There Is this you where go. we start singing? Take me up to the ball game? Yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll, I was, we'll spare I, the listeners. This is my third. Yeah, well, I would just say this is my third. This will be my third game of the year, and I'm very ready to wow. go for the chicken dance. So. Look at you. Oh. Third game of the season. Have you had a three-foot hot dog yet? No. All no, right. that's, uh, I think that's just safe for Father's Day. So. All right. Well, trim those nails if you're going to be uh, putting them <laughs> exactly. out on display, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were just chatting about the the Jets and the Canucks and just, you know, how the Jets perhaps could be a cautionary tale for the Canucks in terms of holding on to your core uh, for too long. Do you, do you buy into that at all? I mean, only one team wins the Stanley Cup every year, so they're going to be cores that never win cups, right? But are yeah, you buying I, into that sort of, you know, cautionary no, I, tale? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, you have to remember the standards and, you know, like that's also like the how hard it is to win. And I, I thought a lot actually about Giannis about his comments yeah. in Milwaukee about sort of failure and what they're trying to do every year. And, you know, there's a mindset there that I think is very familiar to anybody who talks to athletes, but yeah, I, I can see absolutely. You look at in Winnipeg. I mean, I think we've all heard the rumblings of how kind of split that room has become. And um, it's just not a happy place. And, and, you know, Rick Bone is talking about sort of the overall character of the place. I mean, that's a shot at the leaders in his room. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, what that, you know, I mean, coaching is, of course, always a role in this, but he's, here he is. He's a guy that took over for a different guy with had a different approach and it didn't work for either coach. And, I, you know, I, that stands out to me is that in the end, that there's just not a cohesive feeling in that room. And yeah, you, you know, things need to change at some point it, you know, in a different way. You look at those sort of mid '90s Canucks, that team that didn't that almost won in '94, and um, you know that necessary process that happened in '98. Now, you know Pat Quinn probably too loyal. Should he have moved on from some other guys? Did he stick with some guys for too long? I mean, that was that that's that's the other lesson in all this is that guys lose their fastball, and uh, you know certainly uh, you look at a guy like Blake Wheeler who you know basically is he's not the player he was, you know, and, right. and that of course is the risk of signing long-term deals and all that kind of thing. That's inevitable. But, um, you know, Mark Shifley obviously has not been, you know, has not played out, panned out the way they wanted, you know, they've moved on, you know, they brought in P- PLD and, you know, they did change a few things here. They moved on from Tyler Myers. They moved on from Vander Kane, but they lost Dustin Bufflin. And, you know, they, they rolled back a group that was clearly not, all in it last year and that's on management as well i mean that they've won three three series i mean the funny thing is if you look at that how have the leafs not won any series yeah is that is that is that play is that is that character is that bad bounces is that whatever Um, whatever right yeah you know but but that you know that's the other consideration okay they made the conference finals in 2018 and then did they go all in the next year? Did they really dial in? You know, was that their window? I mean, we're five years past that now. I, I don't think you could possibly claim they're still in the window that they were then. Um, and I don't think this team is as good as that team was. So, yeah, for a whole bunch of reasons, it's pretty clear that they need to find a way to change change the story there. But is are we is this too soon then 
than drawing this comparable to the Canucks? Well, I, I think it's a warning. It's certainly a warning. Okay. It, 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 yeah, I don't think we're in that spot. Certainly the vibe, and it's, you know, I'm writing about, I have a thing about Quinn Hughes today. You know, we're doing our Under the Microscope series, kind of looking back and who are these guys and where are they trying to get to? And obviously we saw the performance of Hughes and it was fantastic. And But you think about sort of what Rick Talkett is hoping to get from him even more, you know, the idea that he would like him more. It's not as a support player. It's a hard one to explain, but he doesn't want him feeling that he has to lead every rush, you know, and that's, that's a statement about what the rest of the team needs to be doing and also finding ways to get Hughes, you know, finding gaps in new and different ways and challenging himself in a new and different way. And there's also the emergence of a player as the leader, you know, and with the overall vibe, we look at how this group is and how sort of upbeat they were coming out of, uh, uh, you know, coming out of a season that, again, they all admit wasn't good enough in the end, uh, it suggests to me, I think, that this is at least, you know, this is sort of another shot for this group. But, of course, if they don't make the playoffs next year, then we have, I think, you know, it, the path is different, but I don't think the questions will be all that different than we're asking about the Jets right now. PJ, we always do this in the first round of the playoffs. We you know, are in awe of the physicality and the speed and just the relentlessness. and Yeah. You know, and then it sort of settles in. It usually the first round is sort of the the most frenetic. Um, mm. But the common thread through all of this is that things ramp up in the playoffs, and so there's been some chatter this week as people have tried to apply, you know, these playoff models to the Vancouver Canucks, what they have and what they don't have. And Vasilipod Colson's name comes mm. up because he looks like a kind of guy that could excel in playoff hockey when time and space is taken away. But obviously, this was a Big step back for him yeah. this season. Where are you with Bod Colson? And like, what do you think next year could look like for him? Well, I think he's fallen into the do something category. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he has. You know, I, I there's you, you you can see there's so much there, and the work ethic is there. I mean, there's a guy that, yeah, how can you say a guy who's the first on, last off has bad work ethic? You know, there's yeah. a guy that loves hockey. I feel in the end was a, you know, literally in results was a lost season, but I think even in it, it felt like a loss. He was lost. I don't think he knew what, you know, between what Boudreaux, Bruce, whatever it was, Bruce Boudreaux wanted out of him, I don't think it was ever clear. And, uh, you know, so, and I think that had an impact on him, you know, especially once he stopped scoring, like, you know, when he doesn't score, it's inevitable that you're not going to be, you're going to be playing less. Um, and, you know, you go, I go back to a, a, something that Ray Ferraro once said, I think about 1040 was like the moment he was talking about Jake Vertanen of all people, but you know, the moment teams aren't asking you to do more, they're pretty quickly going to be asking you to do less. And that very much was a case of this season. You know, here's a guy that got some little bit of time on, on PP2, but didn't stick there because nothing, you know, wasn't happening. He's a guy that should, I think should be a good penalty killer, but they weren't asking him to do that. And so then he just became one of those guys. And, those guys tend to cycle out pretty fast. I think he's better than that. I do think there's enough talent. There's enough vision, um, you know, that, that he's going to be playing out more than that. But in the end, he's kind of in that same category as Vitaly Kravtsov right now, that, you know, which is, you know, not great. No. Um, you know, Kravtsov had moments. He was guys who get on the puck, but, it, you know, you, you felt like Kravtsov, you watch him play and you're like, there's just a half step late on stuff he would try to make things happen but you know the puck needed to be there quicker you're like i get it but i'm not sure this is going to actually get anywhere now obviously Puck colson is um still quote only 22 but um you know he's a guy that it's kind of going to happen now and next year is 
kind of everything, I think, at this point. Otherwise, he's just going to kind of turn into that great mass of guys who have NHL talent and will probably carry on for a while, um, but but won't ever be anything special. And that's unfortunate because he wasn't, you know, I think he was an interesting pick when when Jim Benning picked him at, uh, in 2019. Um, and, and certainly, you know, we've seen flashes. And then, you know, you look at the tail end, it's like the Boudreaux season, how well he played. Boudreaux's first last season a year ago you look at how well he played to close things out and he was an effective useful player and in the mix um but certainly you know you look at things like this third line how are they going to make that third line work and they want to find a center and blah 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 well they gotta actually find some wingers too and uh you know he has absolutely have to be one of those one of those players in that mix since we've talked to you uh news came down this week about Elias Pettersson and the worlds and the insurance yeah. issue uh, you know, we joked here when the news broke that Rick Tockett was probably happy because that'll <laughs> give, you know, Pedersen another month to yeah. focus on his big summer. But, you know, I think anytime a guy wants to go and represent mm-hmm. his country like Pedersen did, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's disappointing. I mean, it, it, you know, they were trying to get the insurance because he wanted to go and play. And so, uh, and, you know, for purely selfishly, any more opportunities to watch Elias Pettersson and to see yeah. him on big ice, like I was all for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I would imagine that uh, he's got to be pretty disappointed. And I would think Team Sweden's really disappointed that they couldn't get that worked out. Yeah, I mean, I even went to the, I, I wrote a little bit about it. Obviously, Pat, you know, Pat had told me last week about the disability insurance this week. Didn't really want to get into it this week, but, you know, it did confirm that that had been the issue. And I even went and asked the Swedish Hockey Federation about it. They did not want to comment hmm. on players that are not playing for them. Um, but he is in an odd, unusual spot. I asked a couple other people, do you think this is going to be a thing going forward? Is this going to be a concern? And they're like, no, I don't think so. It's, it is such an unusual position. I mean, you look at how 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 great a season Pedersen had. And I don't think there are many comparables in the past where players have had such a great season and not been on a team that was in the playoffs. You know, yeah. um, I think that's kind of the the truth of all this. So it, it, it's unfortunate, certainly. And there's a you know there, there obviously was the connection with his old coach being Sweden's coach this year and the excitement of playing for Sam Halam again. You know, he he he's a guy that enjoys playing for i mean every sweet i mean everybody i think loves playing for their country but it's it's something extra special for swedes and this tournament and um and you you think of some of the some of the sort of trips these guys have made and, and the kind of that kind of thing and, and everything they try to do to to be involved no matter what so yeah huge certainly from a playing standpoint big disappointment but yeah you're right from a recovery from a off-season preparation standpoint you know it's it, it from sort of that sort of purely purely sort of uh, physical standpoint, this is the best thing. But, you know, it's, for player morale, I mean, he, there is going to be a moment of disappointment and frustration. He'll move on from it. We know yeah. that. He's a competitor. But but in the moment, uh, and I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure it was a frustrating situation, you know, earlier this week when they realized it wasn't going to happen. There is always risk, too, when it comes to injury. I mean, look at OEL last year, right? And then he yeah. fought the whole year through it. Uh, as, you know, we asked it, it, whether, you know, Petey made the right decision before we found out about the insurance thing. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? Of course, it's the right decision, this and that. But there is always the fact that you could get injured. And there was the fact that he has a big negotiation ahead of him. So maybe this is the right thing for him. Who knows? We we all can't make that decision. That's for him uh, to to, to ultimately make. Uh, But uh, talking about decisions as well, because you brought up his name. And I wanted to ask you this because we did a poll question of this recently. Kravtsov, is he going to get qualified? I was wondering about that, you know, 
certainly, you know, I mean, in that he is kind of in, that, you know, we've had examples of this in the past, you know, think about Derek Pouliot. Um, it's so that's kind of the discussion, right? So another sort of guy, first round pick that never quite put it together. Um, yeah, he's, he's a guy that I find myself wondering about that. I, I certainly get the impression. I mean, I don't think they're ready to give up on him. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think there was a whole lot that he showed. The one thing is his cap hit is his qualifying offers all of 840 grand, you know? So it's yeah. not like he's yes. that yeah. far. It's not like you're talking yeah. about a guy who's like, you know, one point one and a half. Okay. Well, like that, that brings me to Travis Dermott then. Who's at one seven. He yeah. was part of our poll as well. I think he's not, I think the odds are not. I think certainly, um, you know, when I talked uh, Wagner and I talked to him a little bit and I'm going to do something about him at some point, cause I'm writing about the defenseman. Um, but when Wagner and I talked to him, um, after media day there you know he's such an upbeat guy like that that personality was there and he was he was kind of kind of i don't think honored is the word but he was kind of impressed that there were people that were kind of curious about how he was doing um and uh, you know he and in general all my interactions with him back up with that this is a person who kind of you know for lack of a better term gives a shit you know about everybody around him and um and, and you know not that it not that I'm saying he was, you know, happy to see how you doing, you know, backslapping kind of thing, but he was, you know, he was, yeah, I think he was pleased that, that, that he kind of got that in return. Um, and certainly talked a bit about being a new father and, you know, Wags and I having young kids with lots of common observations and suggestions, but a guy who, um, is in a really tough spot and, and, um, you know, like Brandon Sutter, you know, a guy like that just wants to play. And and life is not being fair. His body's not being fair to him. And there's not a whole lot he can do other than kind of trying to press on and hope the you know, his sort of vestibular system and and whatnot kind of resets itself. But you know, you you constantly think about Michael Furland and his story and where he was at and how it just became an impossible thing. Um so yeah, I I Derma is, you know, certainly believes he can still play. I mean, we saw him skating on deadline day there just as a casual skate, but he said he didn't, you know, that was one of, that was a rarity. He didn't actually do a whole lot when he ever got on the ice. Um, but, you know, trying to keep himself fit and trying to, trying to maintain himself in, in sort of hockey shape is still his plan. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the Canucks, you know, have the ability to maintain his rights and keep him back. But, uh, but yeah, it, at the end of the day, um, I think he's an interesting question. I just don't see him getting qualified given what his contract's at. Yeah, no, I think I'm with you. I just, I think the dollar signs really, and, and you're right. Uh, you know, first and foremost, you want to make sure uh, that the young man is healthy and that he can resume his NHL career. But I don't know if it's going to happen here with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. We'll have he played, what, that. 11 games? Yeah, like, something like that. Yeah, you know? Yeah, and it's tough because uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. He's from my hometown. Like, my our families know each other, so it's tough yeah. to see. Uh, a player like that going th- through that. But uh, PJ, enjoy the sun. Enjoy the baseball game, guys. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. 
and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to go to make a play on free casino games and sports odds. Let's uh, get into a little bit of playoff talk before we get into my Bodog best bets. We pretty much unpacked the Golden Knights and Jets there. A Golden Knights moving on with a 4-1 series win. They're the first team to move on. The Lightning double up the Leafs 4-2. So it's now 3-2 for Toronto, but... Boy, you know, minds are racing in Toronto right now. They are feeling that pressure because, hey, they've probably awakened uh, elimination game Vasilevsky. Yeah, a lot being made of that storyline, and he was good. Gave him the goaltending that they needed, obviously. Mitch Marner, probably a sleepless night, had the breakaway at 2-1, to one and oh, yeah. what might have been there. Um you know, look, on balance, it probably should be a 3-2 Tampa series, to be perfectly honest with you, just the yep. way the games have been played. But ultimately, it's who scored more goals on a given night. And the Leafs have found ways and chipped away and came back and won in overtime, all those types of things. But if I'm Toronto, I'm, I'm more troubled by the process than I am the, you know, the, the result last night. It's just that I there have been too many stretches where I, the Leafs really just haven't looked all that good. Now, maybe some of that's, you know, give Tampa some credit. I mean, the Leafs have such firepower and the quick strike. And and so, you know, I don't think people should have been shocked that they came back in the games that they did Mm -hmm. because they have the kinds of players. But just there are long stretches in these games. And it feels like every game where the Leafs are skating in quicksand, like they're having trouble, you know, kind of getting it going and and, uh, a lot of one and done and those types of things. And if I'm Tampa... You know, I just say keep playing the way you are. Hope that Vasilevsky has awakened a little bit, makes the saves that he, you know, again, I don't think he has to be spectacular. Um, and, you know, the worm turned a little bit in the fact that uh, Samsonov gave up a, a greasy one. That was yep. not a not a good goal, the Essamont goal. And, yep. you know, those ones haven't been going in against uh, Toronto, and, and they did last night. And, you know, at this time of year, like, those are, you can just feel it in the building. You can feel it on the bench. Like, ugh, that was a bad goal. Yeah. And, and, and Cooper's comments pregame, just talking about how, you know, home ice can be. I mean, I know he's playing mind games, sure. But he's kind of right, though. And I think for Toronto, like, it's almost best for them to be away from their building. You know what I mean? Because they, well, they yeah. when that feel, when the building feels it, when the collective feeling of the building starts to get doubt, it seeps into the players for sure. Right. And, and you know, as we bring things back to the Canucks, and this wasn't playoff level, I'll be clear to recognize that. But, when they came off that opening road trip and the home opener against Buffalo and the crowd turned on them. And then the next yeah. game, I think it was Carolina. And it, yeah, you could feel it in that building. Like people, like when they're angry or when they're nervous, like that energy is palpable. There's no question. And so obviously playoff time, it ratchets up a, a ton. And, and the other thing is like, there is no home ice advantage in these playoffs. I mean, that much is abundantly clear. It does feel like there's an edge to to being out on the on the road for whatever reason this year more than most. Um, you know, I, I think we had this talk before the playoffs where, like, I kind of feel like even if you have home ice advantage, like you have to be prepared to win at least once on the road. Like it just it, it, it's that's the way. I mean, I guess teams are so the the parity in the league now and and the way teams are built and the fact that the ranks are all kind of cookie cutters that you know there isn't there aren't that many home ice advantages truly and so um you get to playoff time you're talking about uh, 16 best teams and i just think you're likely to lose on home ice so you've got to be prepared to go out and win on the road as well and uh i think every uh, every series has had a, at least one road win i believe yeah. 
So nobody's protected home ice to, to this point in the playoffs. And and so, yeah, if you're the least, like, you know that there's a fan base uh, you've left behind that's still pulling hard for you, but maybe just getting away from it, ease the burden a little bit and just kind of sharpen the focus so that ready to go, one more chance, because we talk about nerves and burden and everything else, if it goes seven. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Devils making themselves a comeback yeah. here now with a 3-2 series lead after Blank and the Rangers 4-0. Akira Schmid is the story right now uh, for the Devils. He's been fantastic in goal for them. But listen, I, I picked them to win the series going into it and just said they really don't have anything to lose here. Like, they're a young team. It's you know, the first back uh, back in the playoffs. Like, you know, and now here they are taking control of the series. And the Rangers, like, they look pissed off. You see Shesterkin last night skating by the bench, just giving it to his guys. And the Rangers starting to unravel a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this has been the most bizarre of the series out there. I mean, Rangers made it look so easy in those first two games in New Jersey. And I picked the Rangers, so, you know, one of us will be wrong. And it's not looking good for me right now. Um like I was just trying to wreck my my head, and maybe listeners will recall. I, I you know don't have an encyclopedic encyclopedic memory of every playoff series that's ever been played, but like I can't recall one that has turned so drastically, and not one team winning the first two and then the other rallying with three. But the, I mean, the Rangers blew them out like four to one and five to one in the first couple of games, and now the Rangers have what two goals in their last three games against a rookie goalie that's been thrown in here, uh, getting his baptism and, you know, NHL playoff hockey needs look terrific. So yep. full credit to Akira Schmid, but you know, goaltending for the last couple of seasons has been the downfall of the devils. It's been an issue. It's been a revolving door, merry-go-round, you can name it. And, you know, imagine if they've found their guy in Akira Schmid, um, he certainly seems to be their guy right now. Uh, and if you're the Rangers, like, Again, like where's Panarin? Where's Zabinajad? Um, you know, we, we talked about like remember last year uh, in the playoffs. Oh, was it last year in the playoffs? Like uh, Alexis Lafreniere, uh, he was on the trade block. I mean, he was linked to the Canucks there for the longest time, and they felt like they wanted to run him out of town, and they weren't happy with him. Um, I wonder if we're going to revisit all of that again. He has zeros across the board five games into this series. Um, Wow. You know, Philip Heedle, who came to life in the regular season, he's got one goal in this series. Uh, you know, Tarasenko's got two goals, but that's it, two points uh, for a guy that they paid a lot to get and was supposed to be one of those, you know, sort of finishing pieces that was going to put them over the top. You know, Barkley Goodrow with Stanley Cup chops. He's got no points and 29 penalty minutes. So, um, yeah, game. It, it just, like, Kane's got six points in five games. Got six points, okay. Yeah, just the one goal. Um but really, it's, you know, Panarin and Zibanejad are the guys, right? Neither one of them has scored. They both have two points right now through five games. And uh, they're the machine like that drives that Ranger offense. And good for the Devils for finding a way to shut them down and keep them in check and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'll just be curious. If the Rangers go out in the first round, uh, you know, this was a team that was built to go far. And last year went relatively far into the playoffs. And so it would be massive disappointment, especially the, you know, the trades that they made, the people that they brought in. And I just wonder, uh, you know, it's never just one guy, but when I look at their lineup there, I mean, Panarin and Zibanejad jump out at me just because they're the veterans and the guys you would expect. But Lafreniere is a first overall pick, five games, 
zero, nothing across the board uh, offensively for him. From that 2020 draft, right now, Tim Stutzla is the guy that's standing out above everyone else. He got 177 points in 210 games. Alexi Lafreniere is fourth right now in terms of point production with 91 points in 216 games. Dawson Mercer, the 18th overall pick that year in Jersey, is ahead of him right now in terms of points. I'm not writing Alexi Lafreniere off, but boy, when you hit a first overall pick, like you want to hit, right? And there was a lot of people that were high on him as well. So. Well, and just looking at his numbers from last year, uh, you know, he had nine points in 20 playoff games. So, you know, half a point a game a guy at the age of 20 last year in the playoffs. And I think that was, you know, okay, that kind of looks like what you're looking for. First overall pick, 20 years old, and he's half a point a game guy in the playoffs. Yeah. And here we are a year later and donuts just like, wow. so uh, lots of reasons there. He's one of them, but uh, I would imagine that uh, there are others that are getting heat, you know, on that Rangers hockey club. And kind of like we said with the Winnipeg Jets, you know, they were led in scoring by Neil Pionk. Adam Fox is actually leading the Rangers in scoring. He's got six points in the five games. So, you know, trying to do what he can from the back end. Uh, and you would expect that he would have uh, been a prominent player, like prom, you know, one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League and trying to get it done. But, uh, yeah, my goodness, just uh, kind of shocked at how the how things have swung so drastically in that series. Now, Rangers are at MSG, game six. You know, they're not going to want to go quietly if, I mean, I'd love a game, I hope we get a bunch of game sevens, but I'd love a game seven uh, between those two teams. Yeah. So, but the Rangers, if for that to happen, the Rangers are going to have to be a whole lot better than they have been in the last three games that they've played. I get better at my Bodog best bets. I feel like I'm sort of just throwing stuff and seeing if it'll stick. I did that uh, two nights ago and, and hit with it, with the Florida Panthers on the money line. It was a complete guess. It was a hope bet more than anything else. I felt like Corey Perry was going to score against the Leafs yesterday. Yeah. He seems to do that, although there's that other guy that seems to score big goals that's not, you know, one of the most prominent players on the Lightning, and he did that last night in Nick Paul. So maybe I should have went with him. So I had a Corey Perry as any time goal scorer. He didn't score last night. But I'm going with a four-team parlay tonight. Wow. I've got Boston, Carolina, and Dallas all to finish off the series. I got the Avs to extend it. Going to parlay all that up at plus 816. So shooting for the moon here. I don't know how I'm feeling about the Avs, though. I feel good about Boston, Carolina, and Dallas. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the Avs, and that's so strange to say, considering they're the Stanley Cup champions and they're playing the second-year Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I don't have a good feeling. I, I think uh, Climate Pledge is just going to be off the hook tonight. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to let the champs off the the carpet. I mean, there's just so much noise around that team now with this Nikushkin story as well. That like, you know, the mysteries have only gotten deeper. Um, and you know, so they have to be able to compartmentalize that stuff. Like that can't impact them. His absence will impact them certainly. They get McCarr back, but the fans are going to be all over Kale McCarr, which is great for you know. You need villains in the playoffs, and you're trying to build rivalries and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they were all over him the other night because he stayed in the game and McCann left, but uh, you know that Kale McCarr is going to hear it. Uh, I just wonder, you know, is he that kind of player that, you know, maybe that will fuel him? And I don't know that, you, you know, be careful what you wish for if you're Seattle and you're, you're trying to get over, all over Kale McCarr because we know that he can single-handedly take over and win hockey games for that Colorado hockey club. So uh, really curious to see his response. You know, Ranton and McKinnon have both been good and have had their moments, but 
I, I think it's going to take even more from those guys because as we've talked about throughout the series, like the support cast, uh, supporting cast on that Colorado team has let them down. Like there just hasn't been much there. So if it's not McKinnon and Rantanen and now McCarr back in the lineup tonight, you know, if they can't get it done, then they very well may be done uh, in game six. Yeah. And that is a crazy story that's going on with Nakushkin as well. So keep your eye on that one. But uh, at the same time too, you know, I kind of want Seattle to move on just, just because they're the, the plucky upstart guys. Right. And and of course it's the uh, cup champs that are on the ropes. So see if Seattle can pull that one off tonight. Biggest game at climate pledge. In the cracking history. Yes, it is. <laughs> Going yes, down tonight. Is. Short history, of course. Mm-hmm. All right, Jay Pat. Uh, many thanks to Patrick Johnson from the province, Post Media, for joining us. It's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always scores.